Welcome to the first ever episode of the new podcast from Pod Clubhouse covering the new show on FX, Shogun. This is the Tales from the Shogunate, the Shogun series companion podcast. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse with my friends and allies, Gabby and Inez. How are you guys doing today? I'm so excited. I'm really, I can't contain myself. I'm so relieved that Gabby's here. Finally. <laughs> wow. Thanks for the shout out, Nanes. I'm excited too. Thank you. Thank you. Going through a lot to be here, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. She's, <laughs> if you can just imagine what a podcaster might look like with a baby asleep on her chest and that podcaster hoping that the baby stays that way, then I think you've got a pretty good mental image of what Gabby's doing right now. I don't know. I think that that's still too tame. I just oh, sent let me... you a picture. <laughs> let me see this You're picture. You're welcome, guys. Wow. <laughs> oh, Gabby. <laughs> no feedback. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> okay, sorry. So the um, hate talk can just I've... end now and let us let us begin. Because you know I, too, what? am ready to rock and roll, Paul. I think this is just like a reminder that like Paul's sessions at Pod Clubhouse is very inclusive. We are <laughs> a very inclusive bunch. We welcome the, the mothers who are actively nursing their, their newborns while also simultaneously caring for their sick toddlers. Kudos to you, Gabby. And finding time to podcast a, a very dense, historically semi-accurate show like Shogun. We're not talking about some easygoing TV show here, I don't think. There's a lot to soak in. I had to go and study a little bit on how feudal Japan worked just to kind of get things straight. But on the other hand, I enjoyed doing that and finding out more about it. I was shocked how much the show reminded me of, of all things, kind of way things worked in Game of Thrones, which I thought was always sort of like a throwback to some dark period in England's history. But I would bet there's quite a bit of Japanese influence in it, too. What, what elements of the show did you guys enjoy? My oh my, am I glad that you brought up Game of Thrones because I feel like this show is going to do it right, Paul. It's yeah. going to do it right. And I am <laughs> so excited. I was actually just thinking about that. And I thought, man, I'm, like the first thing that comes to mind is is how I'm going to like shit on Game of Thrones right now. Like, I don't want to do that, you know, because it's like my M.O. But you did it for me. So thank you. Thank I, you. I gave you the in, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I am so incredibly excited because this is, this is, this is what I do. This is what I read. This is what I read for fun. This is what I learn about for fun. I had no idea that this show was coming out until just recently when we decided to jump on the podcast and I am dealing with sick people, but oh my goodness, I am so excited to read up, relearn, like review everything because geez, excellent oh episode. My oh my goodness. I'm so excited. You're the Shogun, Gabby. The <laughs> MVP right here. Um, yeah, I, same sentiments. You know, Gabby has been recommending a lot of different shows to me. You know, Billions, Secessions. She talks about Art of War. I'm just like watching this episode and just really thinking of Gabby a lot. <laughs> 
So, wow, um, thank y'all. And uh, and I love this. And I say I came to the same conclusion. Like we're about to watch the Japanese Game of Thrones, and I am all about that. Like it's it's the same reason why I really loved. Um, what's that Game of Thrones spinoff one? The the House of the Dragon. Dragon. House yeah. of Dragon. Right. I loved House of Dragon as an upgrade from Game of Thrones because I I felt like they went even deeper into like historically accurate ways of dealing with life there right like the king going through his like physical ailments and the kind of medicines and what he, he's how he's being cared for i just like really love all of those details and this show was right off the bat like i'm only we've only watched the first two episodes and it is already a masterful piece of art now we're not going to make comparisons to game of thrones throughout the show no. however i think one one element that stood out to me as like probably the primary difference, at least to me, was the point in the first season of Game of Thrones where everything took a turn, which is the death of King Baratheon and Queen Cersei reading his orders and being like, yeah, fuck that. Similar stuff is happening here in the world of Japan, 1600, but these people all operate under a code of honor. And so they cannot just do that, even though they may want to, and they're scheming to do that. That's not how they can operate. And that's so intriguing to me that the honor of their house, their land, their fief is so meaningful to them. For instance, like the samurai who fucked up so badly by speaking out of turn in front of the Council of Regents that now he has to go kill himself and his baby. You'd never see that in Game of Thrones, for instance. This is related, I guess, and kind of that texture, but this is kind of a whole new ball game in terms of the way people are going to adhere to that moral code. Right, because it's more, it's culturally accurate to Japanese culture, and that is definitely still reflected like today. And so, I, that's something that I'm really excited about with this podcast is the audience is going to. I mean, I don't actually know how many people just are familiar with um, like true like samurai and honor and the, just Japanese heritage. I mean, I know I am, and so I'm uh, excited for. I guess, a bunch of newbies to start appreciating culture, just even modern day as well, because I, it's still very, very, very significant. Like even with my friends, just observing like different behaviors and the honor component is um, huge still. So yeah, that's something that I appreciate. And you're right. You don't find anything, any sort of honor in Game of Thrones, which is why I didn't like it. Cause it was just kind of messy and sloppy and not even that hardcore. But exactly. <laughs> this, this is, <laughs> um, this is hardcore. Like they're saying, they, they're saying it out loud to each other's faces. They know that like, well, like as soon as all this stuff's done, like you're, you're, we're going to fucking kill you. And like it's, it's so, it's so clear between, them it's such a transparent communication and then this like watching this masterful game of chess that um you know with these small interactions and these questions and these moves and, and it's like literally every single thing that you say like is a chess move like i know we said you said we're not going to compare this to game of thrones all the time but the reality is is that like game of thrones is is what's going on around the world at all times we're 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 living through a lot of stuff right now massive movements that are happening in the entire world right now and this is what the modern day game of thrones is right yeah. so i think that it's i think it makes sense and game of thrones as in like the game not necessarily like the show specifically so i'll just kind of put that out there for us to be able to like 
like leverage off of so that people don't think like you guys just talk shit about Game of Thrones all the time. <laughs> it, Who's it, saying that? It, well, I don't fun. know. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny you say that. Like, and this is a very telling admission, I guess, for myself. But when I was watching that the first time with Caroline, my wife, I, I paused it for a second. I was like, it's just who has the bigger army? And and she's like, duh. <laughs> it's always oh been who gosh. has the bigger army. And, and that is very much the conversations that's going on behind closed doors here in Osaka, particularly amongst the various regions trying to gather who's on my side, who's on your side, who can I take on right now? Who do I need more uh, support to take on? Who's got the bigger army is what it always seems to boil down to. They said it in the show, the episode, the guy said it's all about silk, gold, and guns. And it's still true. Yeah, and how the Catholic Church is trying to invade, penetrate, and rule. That is a major element that maybe today's audience may not fully appreciate. You know, if you live in America, Christianity is is a very dominant religion. However, (laughs) there's also Catholics out there that are also Christian but if you if you sit them down across the table from one another, they're not going to have a fist fight, Protestants and, and Catholics, like they would in the world that we are seeing in Shogun. But there's a basic disagreement on how things work in their religion. But this is where it stems from, right? They're not too far removed from Protestant Reformation at this point, and it's it's a very serious deal in this world. I really appreciate like how they're storytelling this because I think that we're now going to get a very clear, intimate view of what the point of it is of missions, why churches still today own across the religions. I mean, you know, you mentioned the Protestant and Catholic, and guess what? I live in Utah, so I'm going to throw LDS in there because they are the richest religion in the entire world, and they make big ceremonies about you know going out on missions, right? And so here we are watching like way back here in the 1600s what the real point of the missions is and being able to see kind of like this raw authentic view is going to be so appreciated and I really hope that people take this as like an opportunity to like open their minds about about what the real actual function of missions was in terms of colonization And something else that's really fun is a common theme, not just about the religion component, but about the ruling component, right? So, I mean, even with Game of Thrones, Gladiator, Art of War, Education of Cyrus, my favorite book, it's all about, okay, who's ruling, when they die, who goes next, and what happens then? So you have even, you know, Julius Caesar, right? So all of these rulers, emperors, they're doing it right. They're doing it well. They can have the setup just wonderfully made for their country and everyone's doing well or everyone's doing poorly, whatever. But at the end of the day, I mean, once those deaths happen and the change of rule occurs, it's all about the scramble for who's going to take over because these ethics and these morals and the way of being and whatever that the last ruler had, you know, that's all up for grabs. So it's just a really entertaining and really, really awesome story that we're watching with Shogun because it is like based off of an actual person, an actual family that ruled in Japan. And then, of course, whatever, whoever their successor was, I think is probably going to turn out differently from this show. But I think that's a really amazing theme that I don't think Game of Thrones worked out really well compared to actual real life stories 
um, mm -hmm. of this happening. So, and this is more toward nonfiction as far as like how they're going to go about it and the um, like issues and problems and hiccups and whatever. <laughs> now, I had to look up, and you can add to this, Gabby, because it sounds like you're pretty well informed. And I guess can also add, even though she doesn't sound like she's well informed. <laughs> Um, uh, Truth. <laughs> about the the hierarchy of the feudal system in Japan at this time. A lot of people probably know that Japan has always had an emperor. I think they even still have something like a royal family. But the emperor is not a position that actually wields power as much as they are a figurehead who is said to have a, a divine right to the country. But in terms of wielding power, and this is more fully described in the book a little bit, they don't actually have a lot of wealth or decision-making ability. That, previous to the events of the show and the book, was held by the person that they've been calling Tycho, um, who is depicted as dying at the beginning of the second episode. And so that Tycho was more or less also a regent, but the most powerful of the bunch. So... Him dying, when they keep talking about the heir, the heir is not the heir to the emperor's seat. It's the heir to Tycho's seat. But he's not yeah. old, old enough to, to wield it yet. So that's where the Council of Regents, who are the five most powerful daimyos, which are like governors. But there are more daimyos. It's just they're not as powerful as the ones that have been appointed to their Council of Regents. They're supposed to run things until he becomes of age. This is not all easily just explained with what they give you, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And then um, that's a it's a really fun factor that they're adding in with the Englishman. Well, and Toranaga. Apparently, Shogun is not a title that is constant. It's, in fact, while Taiko was running things, they didn't need a Shogun. And a shogun is more of a, a military title. Um, and But as you see at the end of the second episode, when they start to discover the possible true motivations of the Portuguese and the Catholics, you get that gleam in Tornaga's eye that's, that's he's been saying, nah, I don't want to be shogun. Then you get that glimpse of him and it's like, I think I might need to be shogun. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what I got from the from the very end of the second episode. Yeah, he has a fighting chance now. Do you think he wants to make allies out of the foreigners or Well, um great question. And I think so because he's only starting to understand the fuller picture that the Portuguese Catholics were not sharing about their true mission in Japan and uh he's pissed. <laughs> that they think they own the place. <laughs> true, true, yeah. That was, oh man, that was really nice. I really appreciate these subtle, the writing is so good and these subtle digs that are so deep and, and something about, you know, the acting, the actors are doing a really great job, I think, at trying to be as culturally relevant, I guess, and accurate. So just this tiny details of the gliding, like the women, the way that they can walk and just how everyone is allowed to carry themselves and very, very subtle acting. But that is the culture. Um, so it's just so refreshing for me to watch this but i mean it is a little tiny bit um not my favorite that everyone's just always clean all the time you know like nobody has like ripped or torn clothes everyone's well, like very not, disney to me i got what so the the 
the foreigners, um, the Portuguese or and the um, the Englishmen or were Dutch or whatever they are, um, they were like the, and they were oh, yeah. they were dirty and they even like were confused why they would be asked to be bathed, you know, more than twice, you know, twice in one mm-hmm. week, right? Like yeah. like what, right? So I think that that's the intentionality here is that you are seeing the people who are in power and that they do actually practice this higher great this hygiene. In, yeah great hygiene in comparison to all the kind of other royal families that we've seen in all kinds of European other shows ones. right the european ones They're being dirty. like gross and that that's accurate historically accurate so i really like that if if this is like his i feel the sense that there's a high integrity on what they're trying to portray from a historical accuracy perspective which is one of my favorite 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 things to watch and that's why i was so excited about the show and so i think that's where the cleanliness comes from is just show you like like you we're we're used to 1600 europeans being fucking disgusting and that's why they die off on their own and then you have here like the culture what you're expecting to to see 1600 it's not the same the japanese oh, have no, I do practicing this that. you know so <laughs> no i know i just meant like when i see something like this i like when they include and maybe they will include like the process of the cleaning you know what i mean like i know that they bathed him they had like they didn't show how they bathed him you know what i mean so it's like i just want that little bridge so that it's less kind of disney-esque I like when they have an explanation somewhere. So somewhere, somebody, right? Because it's not just somebody's working to clean the clothes. Somebody's working to press it. Someone's like, show them getting ready. So for me, this is well made. And I do think that they are like following as much historical accuracy as they possibly can. But I do know that it's not like super, super gritty in that sense. Like, you know, Rome, right? They had so much more of like the scenes with the slaves who were actually just doing the background work. So I guess that's what I'm talking about. Like, I would appreciate if there if we did see more of the background stuff happening and it's not just like the non uh, laborers like going around. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the fishing there. village is pretty, pretty rough and ready. I know that they have it just I want particularly I want to see how they're little like inside of the kingdoms inside of those yeah. places in the rooms I want to know how that works I'm here to it. learn operations yeah the oper- yes. and I love that stuff too so I really do also hope that we get some more I, I feel like we will um oh yeah you know, but uh yeah I totally get it I totally get what you mean she wants behind the scenes operations man we don't want things to just like happen like they've now hooked us with all of this yeah. historical <laughs> details and we just want more we're like fiending for it i've been reading the book to prep for the show and unfortunately with all the hours i've already gotten into the book apparently 12 hours a book is only two hours of show (laughs) so i've done 12 hours i've only done like two so far so (laughs) zero zero over here (laughs) well the bathing actually for as much as you think you've seen it in the show there's probably twice as much of that mentioned in the book and there are certain elements of the book that they don't belabor in the show because you get it. There's long periods of time in the jail cell and the uh, pit where they keep the men or you know, other stuff like that that goes on for a long time. Also, the narrator and the actor, Cosmo Jarvis, perform Blackthorn in about the same way with sort of a Batman rasp to his voice. That was that was funny. Uh, <laughs> 
I wonder if Cosmo talks like that in real life or if that's just put on for the show. I uh, thought, I asked myself that too. I was just like, is this real? I was like, is he trying to do like his Thor voice? It's a pirate voice. <laughs> is, is, is this? <laughs> it was really strong in the beginning and then it started going away as we were watching, but he still has a little rasp. So I do think that in the beginning it was a bit exaggerated for the sake of like typical pirate, I guess. Oh, you mean like kind of like making himself like like more aggressive meter from like a, a self-preservation kind of standpoint, maybe like trying to be intimidating enough to them in some way. And then because he's now been like humbled watching Yabu. Yeah. The one who went down and, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, down the cliff and and did that whole fucking scene. Oh, my God. Amazing. And uh, and after humbling from there, maybe maybe that did kind of come down a little bit. Was it clear to you in that scene that the tide was coming in and he was fucked? Yes. No. OK. It started to look like that to me. It seemed like the tide was coming. I figured like this is not going to be a super fast mission. So it makes sense that there'd be a long time of just trying to like get down there, trying to gather yourself and trying to grab this guy and all that stuff. And so that makes sense that the tide's going to start changing. Plus, he's got like a massive concussion, I'm sure, that he's fighting through. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that scene wasn't my favorite, actually. I do appreciate these scenes a lot and in, in everything that I watch. So I guess, yeah, sure, we could assume that the tide was coming. I didn't expect it, but I'm sure that it was expected because I think that the Cosmo is the actor's name, right? His name is like Anish or Angie. Blackthorn is his yeah. English name. Okay, so Blackthorn. I think he knew that it was coming, and that's why he set that all up. So that was cool. But me, no, for some reason, maybe. Oh no, he definitely I'm he definitely wanted Rodriguez saved. I think maybe he knew that the other guy was going to potentially die because I'm sure like he's a he's a sailor, you know, he's a captain. So I'm sure he's always aware of what the ocean's doing. I felt like, um, yeah, what's his motivation for getting that guy down there? Yes, I think he definitely wanted that guy alive because he's Rodriguez. The, Rodriguez. He wanted Rodriguez alive for obvious reasons. He needs the translator and he's also a pilot. And also I felt like he was just feeling like really cocky. I felt like he came off of this ship just very like arrogant because that's just like what white, like these <laughs> these white people do. You know, like we always say, like, we, you know, we always trying to channel our inner white man confidence, you know, to make it in this world, um, us as minorities, right? We want that. That's how we strive for that. And I felt like he was like showing that he was showing that like, he's just this arrogant guy and they're all savages. And he was just very arrogant. And he sent this, he thought, I thought he thought he was so clever being like, Oh, you can't turn down a challenge in front of your bed, which was a true thing because that guy was like, fine, he doesn't know who I am, but he's about to find out. And I feel like he genuinely, only was super humbled like after that like oh like goddamn like i watched this guy like pretty much he was so he was looking down like he was looking forward to this guy dying and then somebody else going to go save rodriguez but like the way he was standing there and looking down on him it was just like the epitome of this white man arrogance that's where i think like that whole th motive came from was just that and he got showed <laughs> it channeled John Smith Pocahontas Disney for me. Yes! <laughs> he saw the colors of the wind <laughs> right after that. <laughs> no, but let's talk about Rodriguez. Good old Nestor Carbonell. I, I am so happy to see him here. I'm happy to see him in everything, but I was just, he's really making his rounds. He's like such a successful um, 
character like, actor excellent yeah. show i mean just yeah but in all of his shows he's in morning he was in lost he's in the morning show he's in plenty of things and he's he's just wonderful I i've never seen him, him so, so so whimsical i've only really noticed him in lost and i think he was in the uh, dark knight or batman begins or something like that yeah and uh well, if you watched the morning show like i recommended that's you true you would see a beautiful side of him well, is he also pretty serious and humorless in that? Because uh, he no. was in those other things. No. Oh, okay. I, I also was taken by surprise of this character because I haven't seen him in a lot of things. But yes, it has been like the same kind of stiff, um, serious suit kind of role like i think even in lost right like i don't remember what he was wearing but i feel like you know what he probably was like looking good still <laughs> and yeah yeah um, it was he, his eyebrows that looked really good he was wearing like just like a white shirt right yeah but he's but it was like a button-up white shirt i think yeah but yeah. you know so that's a like he he has this look and he has this kind of consistent of the things that i've seen in him i haven't seen him in the morning show so i'll definitely get back to that show because it is a really good show but uh yeah it was so fun watching him here and i'm really glad that they saved him in the book, Rodriguez delivers a lot more exposition about how Japan works. And in the show, they've had to kind of temper the amount of exposition that they dole out. And I think they've done it in a more creative, more palatable way where you're not just sitting listening to a sick oh man, my. you know, tell about the hierarchy of daimyos and <laughs> stuff like that. Jesus, that's my favorite thing. Way to rip on it. Well, it's okay for a book, but for a TV show, it's got to move a little faster than that. Yeah, and um, Blackthorn, though, that actor, he's in a lot of things that I have not watched before, but I like him a lot. Let's see, I've seen Hunter Killer, but I think he is a pretty small part in that. Uh, I've seen Raised by Wolves, but I got sick of that after two or three episodes. That is also a, a, a show with a holy war in it. That is uh, atheists versus people that believe in God. That's the whole point of the conflict in, in Raised by Wolves. But I didn't even notice him in that because I never got to the point where he was in it. Um, so I've not seen Cosmo. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Okay. But let's talk about the first episode. I mean, right. they really kicked us off, though, with that baby, that little baby scene early on. I really appreciate that they're not super duper glory, I suppose, because I can, like, watch this with my child around nice and comfortably. But, geez, like, the fact that they're going to, um, I mean, that was such a cute baby that they were going to sacrifice. And um, it was such a powerful scene i think that i think we have to bring up where i don't remember the names of anybody because i'm a little distracted today but what was is it, it's lady mariko right she's like yeah. the translator yeah so her and she's um, hiromatsu's daughter-in-law yeah. daughter-in-law so what did you guys think about that scene where she um with her and fuji you know, exactly I think I think if I recall in the book, that is something that happens off camera, if you will. But I think by putting it on camera for the show, it grounds us in the world in a way that we didn't see coming. Like we were discussing a minute ago, the adherence to honor. More or less, everybody in that room could just let that guy off the hook if he just promised to run out in the woods and never come back, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, they're not going to do that. 
because he embarrassed his boss in front of his boss's colleagues. And that was enough to shame not only him, but his son under their code of honor. And so by showing us everything up until like the moment, I think we're going to have a very strong sense of the world that they live in now. Killing kids in a TV show, that's a major step where they tell us what the tone of the show is going to be. We learned so much with this scene. It was such a powerful, beautiful, tragic scene. Just like starting off with like one, right? When he first says, my deepest apologies, I will end my bloodline with me or whatever. I just assumed that it was just him and he had no kids and he was just going, he was going to do it himself. So I was super shocked going into the scene right off the bat with this mother who's like having in a very appropriate meltdown, right? About like what's about to happen with the baby. And so all of us, like me, Steven and Anya, were just looking at each other with our mouths dropped and we were like, what the fuck? He promised this? This guy promised his baby to die? And so that was like a big shock. And then also just remembering the framing of like, where are we? This is a culture. This is how things are. And this is how strongly rooted honor is deeply within all of them in a way that like none of us live anymore. Right. So it's like it's so intriguing to see it so strong like that. And then the dynamic between like the husband of how he's speaking to his wife, you know, about this and Lady Mariko coming in and stopping him just being able to first he's talking to his wife like that because that's like a dynamic that's probably culturally appropriate right but now he can't say shit to lady mariko and so she we get to see her oh this woman have up this power and step in and it's just like you better have some goddamn empathy for the fact that you fucking did this to her like i loved that big old like fuck you you piece of shit and then like the gentleness of how she guided the woman through it because the woman fuji does know that this is the culture it as devastating as it is this is right what's happened so the way that lady mariko came in and guided that conversation had that command of power but also had like that softness and sweetness and she's elegant she just embodies such strength and beauty in the women of their time so it was such a memorable memorable scene and then seeing her break down outside like once everything was done having her solo moment in her own room and getting to see her humanity um, Mm -hmm. of who she is because we don't get to see that a lot in these kinds of shows either it's always just the strictness and formalities of everything going on but this show is doing such a beautiful job of giving us little sprinkles of of each person's humanity and I feel like that is what makes it like more realistic I think that it's also really showing the power of the rule because it's not just the culture, it's just the ruling that is happening at the time, but also it demonstrated just the strength of women, women in power and just women in general. And you were saying that this guy gave her that she told the guy to give her empathy. Like, no, he didn't give empathy. He's a fucking coward, which is, uh, you know, a theme among men, I I would say maybe, but (laughs) sometimes, um, especially in these shows, because ego comes first. But I really, what you said about her, to me, I saw that as like portraying just immense amount of strength. Like she is the most powerful person in the room. And I do appreciate that she is the translator. We're going to see a lot more of her. And I like the role that she's playing with Toranaga. 
he wants her there. The yeah, the power dynamic between men and women and what we saw was um, you know, women are they're nothing. Like although this girl, this woman, uh Fuji, right? Like she's apparently important because it's her bloodline that is making the baby like more important. It's like she's uh from like a better or a higher bloodline than the guy. Okay. Let's go and with that. Were, I think I thought that's what it was and so she like kind of put him in check saying like that's what was happening and so he needed to respect that that is like a bigger loss than just like being a woman losing her child it was like this important person that now is not going to be so i really appreciated the dynamic there where the women were subtly empowered but again it still is like this very misogynist like culture very male based um and so I don't know. I just feel like this is such a these subtle dynamics of these scenes. I really expect them to, you know, come up and grow and like more to come from it, from these female um, characters. And I'm really excited about that. And anyway, that's what I saw portrayed in that scene was the women empowerment. Well, already the role of Mariko has been sort of accelerated Um in comparison to the book. In fact, I don't know that she has appeared yet in what I've read of the book, but they needed to kind of make this character more important earlier, I bet, because she's. I think she's going to have something to do later that's important specifically with Blackthorn. So her role as a translator, do you think that... You know, he has her Nets translator. He says it's to help her practice her Portuguese, but she's been learning for 16 years. Yeah, that's a lie. I was, yeah, okay. So <laughs> I was just want to make sure that I'm like interpreting like this correctly. That's really because he doesn't fucking trust them. And he knows that he can trust her because they have, he knows that they have a different level of honor. And he just wanted to make sure that she's there to like fact check. Yeah. In, in the book, you get a lot more of this kind of inner monologue, I guess, of the distrust that occurs between the Japanese that adhere to their traditional beliefs versus those that have been converted and the fact that there are two Christian regents is something that Toronaga is exploiting. But I think we're supposed to also understand that his distrust of that whole institution is coming to a head, but it probably has been festering for a while. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's too soon yet. But I'm thinking like maybe now it's like to show her like, I know you, you're, you've deemed yourself a Christian, a part of this. I don't know. She's I don't she's I guess she's on the Catholic side, right? Yeah. So you are choosing this caucus side and now you're about to like see <laughs> like who they are. Uh, yeah, it could be. I like that. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You guys, my baby had her first blowout. Oh, my God. It's everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> that it's is everywhere really it's wonderful. No, it's not terrible. It's fine. It's fine. It's probably mostly sterile. But anyway, let's talk about the cinematography. I love it. Yes. Well, you you know, you know that there has to be some amount of computer aided something here, you know, whether it's extending the set, making the, the Osaka as big as it was or oh, oh, yeah, of course, whatever. But it looks actually very good. It looks it's so beautiful. Very believable. It's so beautiful. There, I love the scene of when you're at the cliff with the water and we're just watching Yabu walking over to the thing. Just like the scene of being the, the cliffs. 
I, I like the scenes with Osaka Castle and the grounds that Toranaga is living in during his yeah. his week of wait and see. Time. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It reminds. I don't know if you've watched. I think you you and I have had this conversation before that I don't think you have seen the um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. I've Not been yet. Talking to, okay, I've been talking about it a lot because I just binge watched it because I I I'm watching the live action right now, and immediately upon seeing like the scene where they pull out and you and they show you all of like Osaka as he's doing the talking about like how big they are because he's you know Blackthorn is thinking that this is like small they're savages whatever and they're like you're about to find out like <laughs> you know how does like these people wield so much power so much space and it just reminded me of Ba Sing Se Ba Sing Se is this really grand earth kingdom city and it's just like massive. It's got like multiple sections within it and big walls between it. And it really just looked just like that to me from like a live action perspective. And I, it's so beautiful. And I, I get that that's going to be CGI. That's not something that that really can be at that kind of scale, realistically produced, um, uh, uh, you know, for, for live filming. Right. Yeah. right. The scenes that you do get that are in a setting and on a setting, I feel like the cliff one with the water, I, I don't know. If that's CGI, it's really fucking good CGI. But I've been to the ocean a lot of times and I don't know, I just love the way like that it was like kind of like a little bit foggy from the mist is just very misty. Mm-hmm. And then him like standing on there, the sound of the waves like hitting. It was so beautiful. All of these scenes back to back are just honestly so breathtaking. It looks like art. Or uh, when Erasmus comes out of the fog and it's like right there, uh, yeah, but the fog yes, is so thick. That was That's so beautiful. I wrote that down. That was that was a beautiful way to start the show. Yeah, no, it gave me like big hero vibes. Hero, like the China, the same story. Well, not the same story, but similar issue happening. The Jet Li movie, in China. Yes. Hmm. I saw Have that a long time it? ago. Long time it? ago. Inez, you don't remember? No, I don't really remember. Oh my gosh. Sorry. You are the one who introduced me to this, and we rewatched it over and over again. And this is how I became. I mean, this is crazy. This is so crazy to me. I'm so sorry for your memory. <laughs> but yeah, it reminded me a lot of that, where yeah, it's absolutely art. And I mean, the things that you're saying about this show, Inez, like you said about that show, because they're so beautiful and powerful. That one is more figurative, though. I really, really enjoyed um, the cinematography inside of that little holding palace that you're talking about, Paul. They did a really great job with all the indoor scenes, very rich colors. A lot to enjoy there, even though the setting itself may be kind of sparse, given like the paper walls and all that kind of stuff. But it's still, you get the sense that they probably built the whole thing. You know, <laughs> instead of some other approach where they try to use the same room from several different angles or whatever. Yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. Absolutely, they built it. It's so easy to build and so nice. And actually, in Hawaii, I lived in an apartment that was like, um, I don't know if it was, I guess, a Japanese owner. So we had like those paper doors. It's just interesting, you know, because when you're in a room, you have to be quiet and hold yourself a certain way. And it forces the people inside, right, to just kind of naturally behave a certain way that I do, did appreciate. 
I guess that was like another subtle cultural like difference that I thought was pretty neat seeing the Blackthorn there and how his demeanor and everything like completely changed right we saw him like rough and tough and loud and whatever and then now he seems to have like drank the kool-aid and he's like matches the settings now with partaking in the um you asked um if i had ever seen the original miniseries from the 80s and i said i barely remembered it and i would say that is the one scene i actually remember is when he punches through the paper <laughs> paper wall by accident such a good part yeah i loved that <laughs> yeah so that's the one enduring scene that i have from peeping through like my eyelids uh watching this show because you can imagine i was like three or something when this came out so <laughs> super boring for a three-year-old that's exciting right? yeah. that's exciting that's to nice. like go through this and then hear everything you that comes back to you mostly the the paper wall um <laughs> yeah there's so much to talk about with this show and I feeling a little bit odd, not, I don't know, I don't know, odd, but like, I want to just keep talking about the things that are not the storyline. I love okay. the story, right? I love the storyline. I love the makeup. I really, really love the costumes. Oh my God. Like watching, mm. like when they're like the scene, when we've got those samurai soldiers, like when the boat comes up, like watching all like those soldiers, like how hardcore they're coming to like check things out and um, whatnot. I just really like seeing that military structure, but then watching the, their, their, they're, they did like a close-up of the feet while they're in uniform, like when they're going into the ship and just paying attention to all of these intricate details with everywhere. I just kept thinking, man, like the budget on this has to be like amazing. Can't CGI costumes like that. No, gosh, no. And so I kept kind of looking at the sets too, to be like, obviously they spent so much money on the details of all of these costumes and the makeup. So like, where did they have to cut? Where did they skim on it? So I kept trying to look at the environment environments you know in in the settings to see like do i feel like there's like not enough clutter around here like intentionally right like because it's like a, that's where they did their budget cut kind of thing but man like i'm so impressed from like end to end um with it and then on top of that the cgi parts don't look like it's skimmed either so i'm just like what like this is like what it looks like when you get to have a show that that has like, I don't know what the budget is. I'm assuming that it's really fucking good or they're just really, really great at making their dollar like go a long way. But these details, man, like they've got experts on this. You're totally right. One of the subtleties, like with the samurai, for instance, would be that each daimyo has his own samurai army. So... They have their own uniforms and, and robes and not really uniforms, but, you know, the kimonos and stuff that they would wear and their armor, obviously, when they when they decide to don their armor, they're all going to reflect their house. And so there are scenes like particularly when Hiramatsu rolls up on Yabu's group and is like, hey, you know that boat you thought you were going to keep? I'm going to keep that boat for the boss. Um, you can see like there's there's samurai on both sides, but they're wearing very different styles of, well, styles the same, but the yeah. colors and stuff are different. Yeah, I love that. They're really educating us here. And I'm just like this ignorant, ignorant child that's just ready to just sponge it all up. It's a lot. But you guys are are agreeing, though, that Feast for the Eyes is, is worth, even if you want to do like a story pass once and then maybe like a fully absorb the scenery pass, it's, it's probably a show you could watch a couple of times. 
Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to at least. Yeah, because I I had trouble. My notes in my notebook are the most disheveled thing that from all the shows that we podcast. I usually have like a similar kind of structure. I just couldn't do that. One, I felt like I needed to listen to this in Japanese and read the subtitles. So that's I did the way that, that also right. That's the way I need. So obviously that limits you right, like on being able to look away because I don't speak Japanese. But also too, I'm like having too many conversations with my head because I was fangirling on yeah. everything everything and i didn't want to keep pausing it so that i can write down a thought or whatever because i'm like gosh i i feel like i'm being disrespectful this is all about honor and i'm not honoring the experience from end to end so i i made an agreement with myself that like because i knew i was watching this really quickly for this podcast purpose i am gonna go back and just watch it just like end to end run it no stopping because it is really masterful and you have to the details are too much you're you're gonna you're fangirling on a lot of things you know like one like Hiroyuki Sonata he's like one of my favorite actors I am obsessed with him so I didn't even know what the show was Steven just told me hey this guy is gonna be on this other show and then called Shogun and then I was just instantly just like I don't care what it is you like I like I like I or just give it to me just give it to me right I love him I he's he is my celebrity crush I think in the past I've tried to figure out like who it was it's this guy every single time (laughs) I see him on screen I can't stop looking at him he's beautiful he's powerful in his presence he's an amazing actor the subtlety of his movements and gestures that he does is just like it's such an immense skill what he does and yeah so then there's times that i would you know I, i'm adhd so i'm seeing him on the screen and i'm like screaming inside like just like oh my god oh my god, oh my god. Right? and so i'm That's like what the, the adhd <laughs> I, I don't well like my, like this the loudness i mean because i brain. do that too i just didn't know that that was because of adhd <laughs> <laughs> well like in my brain right like i can't like uh, i feel like there's people that can just like subdue themselves and just experience it but i like with couldn't he's my he's a huge source of dopamine for me so i see him and i'm just like <laughs> i'm not myself i'm a different person <laughs> i had forgotten he was also in lost that's two lost alums yes. in this show yeah yeah he was in lost he was in westworld he was amazing in, right he was in uh end game very very briefly oh, uh he was in john wick four he was in wolverine wolverine he was in sunshine that danny boyle movie i told you guys to watch but i don't know if you did i did not obviously in the last samurai he's one of the main guys so that's that's a part of his 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 acting toolkit. My heart that adds a lot of legitimacy. I mean, it's one thing to be the specific ethnicity that the casting director is looking for. That's one thing. That's great. But it's another thing to be able to pull off the physical parts of being a samurai that are is a completely other thing. And he's done it for a long time. Oh my God, yeah. I can't wait to see some of those samurai scenes. Right now we're in the politics, but let's let's get to those battles. They are going to fight. There is no way they are not going to fight <laughs> in, this, I know, in this show. The previews just are so oh, epic. He keeps looking back at his armor. They're mentioning how how he has such disdain for the bureaucracy, but they have to show him like stamping his seal on the papers. But meanwhile, he's kind of menaced by knowing, by looking back at the armor that's looking down on him. Like, you know, you're going to need me, bro. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, man. 
Yeah, they, yes. all of the actors in here are are so great. One of my favorites is is Yabu, Tadanobu Asano. I love him. I love him in this. He's just Yobu. I I mean I I've like I've said I've read a little bit of the book, but as near as I can tell, he's going to be a very interesting figure to follow because he's Toranaga's guy. But it doesn't sound like he has to be Toranaga's guy, right? He sounds like he's willing to deal. Is that the impression you got on Yabu? Yes, totally. This is so dynamic. I, I'm i not even trying to keep up with like the schemes at this moment. I'm just like seeing the beginning of this labyrinth. I think I need to rewatch it a few more times to try and come up with some kind of theories for anything. But it's just it's like a beautiful mess at the moment for me in my head. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think my notes are mostly questions. I'm like, I'm really going to have to ask about this and this and this because um, I think it's very sus like. Like at that in the very uh, last few minutes of the second episode, you know, after Blackthorn has drawn the map and exposed the Portuguese, and you know, of course, Tornaga is still suspect of whether or not he can trust Blackthorn or not. But then he says, "You can stay in the West Palace with me." And it's a quick shot of Yobu giving him the side eye, like, "Hey, I don't get to stay in the palace." That's a very big moment that was only given um, a half a second on screen. He's, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what, so what what kind of happened when he found Blackthorn, like when he took him and oh, he rescued him slash kidnapped him? I really appreciated that little setup where they hired people to take Blackthorn and then they killed them and then rescued them and brought them back home. And that's when Toranaga, Toranaga wasn't it Toranaga who was just like, oh, yeah, like you're conveniently in these places a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, so that's smart. the biggest indicator that this other guy is, you know, going to do what he wants to do when it's convenient for him. You know, they had that scene right before that where Yabu and Ishido are talking and they're constructing this conspiracy to control Toranaga by controlling the heretic, Blackthorn. So he's got to stay alive. So you've got to construct. I mean, there's the scenario could be that you had to construct this scenario this uh, i said scenario twice you had to construct this situation where ryabu was seen to save blackthorn from ishido's executioners mm-hmm. and that would help endear yabu to toranaga and blackthorn potentially but we don't know the extent of that of that oh. plot but that's the inkling is that he's he might be Ishido's man at this point, but he has to kind of double agent it for a while. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was that was fun. I'm not good and, at spy movies though, so you know I I, I could be completely wrong on all that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm good at coming up with theories, so maybe I'm I should write the spy movie. <laughs> but yeah, I'm usually wrong, but I I, I usually come up with some kind of. Um, you don't have to be to right. You have to be fun. Exactly. So I'm fun. I'm not right, but I'm fun. And that this time I just I wasn't anywhere. So I needed you. I needed you, Paul, right now. But the boiling scene, the execution. Yabu is a sick fuck, dude. Oh, my fucking God. I appreciated that scene. I appreciate that scene. Anya's always educating me on these like medieval torture stuff that she learns. And then she like needs to tell me. So as soon as this scene comes up 
And she sees this big pot of boiling water and she's just like, oh, 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 oh. And she pauses it. And then she's like, I need to tell you all what this is. <laughs> and, uh, and I appreciated that so much. I, w- I thought it was a really good homeschooling moment. All right. And yeah, I was just like, oh my God, like with how revealing and authentic they've already shown us, right? I don't even remember why they like you know when they were like bringing the prisoners over and they like cut that you know one guy's head off i don't know if it was because he was holding up their line or what it was right but you just get a sense of like all right like this is just all they just like off people when they do that so i felt like i got a good sense that like whatever they're going to show us is kind of like realistic in terms of history so i'm like i don't think i've ever seen this before i don't think i've ever seen like a human boiling um, where it's like, they're, like where they're going to show it to us. Oh my God, that was intense. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that he would be alive for that long. Like, I guess he passed out and then revived and then passed out and then woke up or something because he was like still moving for a while. So I don't know how realistic that is. I'm going to have to do some research on that. But yeah, it was really cool. I was trying to get a better understanding of, of Yabu from that scene. Like, is he a sick fuck or is it that uh, there's something I don't quite understand about Japanese people and their kind of relationship with death in that particular period in time where, you know, when we look at death, we're like, that's it. You're done. It's over. But they had a kind of a reincarnation kind of aspect to their belief system, I think. And death maybe didn't seem like, well, you know, you come, you go. It's 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 not that big a deal when it's your time of your time, but you'll get another try. Or am I looking at it the wrong way? Was there supposed to be getting that he is an evil guy that boils people on a whim? Or is it just he's he doesn't look at it the same way that I'm looking at it? I think that it's just a cultural thing having to do with honor and the fact that they have been in wartime forever, that death is just a huge part of life and there are consequences and everyone must be held accountable. And like, this is just the accountability for whatever he did. So it's him being a sick fuck or whatever is definitely subjective. So maybe to like your precious innocent mind and experience (laughs) it is that he's a sick fuck but for them it's just another day i think because again i mean this is generations of wartime and wartime there is like there present like and then not not to mention you know um there i forgot what it's called but it's the su su keki or um what is it when they ritual suicide yeah sepeku Yeah, Sipeku, right. So like, that's um, a responsibility that you have to yourself. And so I think it's just like a cultural, cultural education. It's getting you out of your comfort zone and putting you in their experience. So I don't necessarily think that he's any worse than like the next guy. I think the even the scene with the child, right? It's obviously really sad. But I think if it was like American or, or just another culture, there would be like a lot of screaming, there would there would just be not this these subtle moments and gestures and repression like mm-hmm. intense repression so i think it's more of like a cultural education mm-hmm. of like get ready bitches this is yeah. the ride 
Yeah, abs- I 100% agree with Gabby on here. I don't think that this is about portraying him as like a King Henry VIII kind of like person. This is them like following like protocol and the way that they, their honor code is so strict that it's like, if you do anything dishonorable, then you already know the penalties. That's kind of kind of like that episode of Star Trek. I'm going to get to use a Star Trek reference for yeah, once yeah, in this, yeah. within this group. <laughs> it's bow, that bow, planet. Bow, bow. <laughs> Oh uh, man, I'm looking at me graduating um, to your guys' level here. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an episode where it's like everybody's like the seemingly like free, just like a lot of like freedom. You can do whatever wants. And the only rule is, is that, that if you break one rule, the punishment for everything is death. Mm. And, you know, so it's kind of, I felt like it's. When Wesley it's, fell in the flowers. Yes, when Wesley yeah, fell in God, the flowers yeah. he and he needed to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so, gabby is appropriately with the japanese culture like that's why she's shogun but i feel like it's kind of like that like it's so like the honor thing is so rooted and it has to be met with something that can redeem honor if somebody feels wrong and these are just the rules they live by and there is a strict adherence to it it's just the way it is i don't think it's showing that anybody is more sick than the other they're all sick humans are sick that's why they create these torture methods and it wasn't just asia time that was using this right this is torture methods that go all also back in in europe so um oh, yeah. I think europe's that, not off the hook for torture the difference, the difference <laughs> is that europe is dirty about it like these yeah, people yes. are sanitary thank you right you yeah. can put on your white kimono to kill yourself <laughs> but yeah that was that was an intense scene and even if i don't know how I'm, I'm sure that it's probably just like five minutes maybe less than five minutes before somebody dies but when they're being boiled alive i don't know the scene wasn't five minutes long it was only a few seconds long like 30 seconds long but what i got out of that was one everybody was carrying on their business everywhere else with the screaming happening in the background so this is like just part of like normal city noises it's like everybody has either an understanding that like whatever's happening out there was deserved and this is just the way we are or maybe everybody is like just like afraid all the time right because we saw the kid that was like had their ears he had his ears like covered because it was horrendous listening to somebody dying um Mm -hmm. like that but it could have been just the two to three minutes that it actually takes to physically kill somebody they were just kind of giving us a tour of how normal this kind of thing and how appropriate or normal this thing is in their environment they were just doing their business it just happened to be a day that somebody needed to boil alive (laughs) no so the best part is that that guy needed to be boiled alive because he was taking the place of uh-huh. um, Blackthorn. And what's great about that is that they weren't even going to kill Blackthorn. It's just because Homeboy said, like, no, we should do this because I don't like him. And the guy's like, no, I like him. But if you really want to kill someone, just go pick it. Yeah. Just go pick and choose. <laughs> I really appreciated that. And I think that they did put the little person covering the little boy or girl, the little child covering their ears or whatever. I think that was like just to show that there is a transition that happens, right? Like that is every day. It is not natural for people to like be so okay with this and go about their day but at some point it is a way of life that is so enforced that it becomes like you become desensitized and evolve and so 
that's why that contrast of like the child covering their ears and then everyone else just like going about their day. It's because, yeah, consequences and the child's going to learn soon enough. They said that Yabu has not been to this town, I don't know, ever or in a while or something. So the local leaders aren't quite as hard edged about that kind of thing. So maybe, maybe yes, but maybe they also just don't want to get on Yabu's list. Um, cause they know right. they, they've seen the way he handles problems like and that, that the, townsman um, without his head. Oh man. What was I going to say? John? Oh yeah. My favorite part was that he made the comment of, uh, that I was thinking, which was like that heretic took a little while to die. And he was talking about the boiling guy. Yes. <laughs> yes. The boiling guy just kept screaming. And the fact that he says like, and he's, he's tougher than the, uh, than the Christians. Or something like that. <laughs> While he's yeah, eating his rice it. and whatever. Yeah, he was just eating yeah, his really meal and it was just like a lunch topic. Yes, very excellent detail. One of my favorite moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, honestly, like it does make me love that character um, <laughs> a lot. He's, there's something special about him. I'm excited to keep watching like his role, especially now, you know, he's hanging out with my guy and then he's hanging out with my guy's enemy and that whole dynamic and just seeing how he goes through. But he's so fucking cool to me. I love him. I'm just I, I'm excited for this. Is he the one you think that they're talking about? The servant of two masters? Like that's the title of the episode, too, is the servant of two masters. Who is this? talking about i think it's mariko yeah it's because she talked about her heart having two masters right oh i must have missed it like her heart having two loves i think it's her oh yeah between like her religion and then her duty uh to the empire right i believe that's right but then there's also the yabu factor his actual liege lord is tornaga but he's wheeling and dealing with Ishido on the side. Yeah, I was thinking that it was him, but then she made her little comment, so could be either. Could be both. But what's the name of, what's the title for the second episode? It's it's the Servant of Two Masters. The first one was Anjin. Anjin. Yeah. Pilot. Oh, Anjin. Gotcha. Okay, never mind. Yeah, we got it. Okay. Oh, that's so a clever play on words. Because a lot of shows' first episode is called Pilot. It is, even though it is also the pilot. That's funny. You're funny. Yeah. They're funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Yes, I'm here for it. Thank you for that, Paul. You need a pun and her guy. And she's sold. <laughs> sold on it. This has now become like an erotic show. <laughs> so glad you shared that. <laughs> I want to hear more about that in the next book. <laughs> oh man, you don't even it, now you're like, like now you know why I'm going to go be going back of several times. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. You sound like me watching so many things in my life. Any Johnny Depp movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, Ed Wood, you're the best. Okay, so anyway, okay, high low high of this episode. Episode one, obviously my boyfriend. Oh my God. Like just seeing him, that's like the biggest high. And then a low, huh? Oh man, a low. Hmm. I mean, it is slower paced than what I'm kind of used to doing, but I find deep appreciation in that. But I, I think like it does, um, my energy was um, probably wanting a little bit more action at times, 
but I also watched this super late at night. I was really tired. But uh, and then two, the cinematography, everything historically just uh, is so beautiful and brilliant. And I was addicted right off the bat on the first one. Episode two, I don't really even remember the distinction between these, but I don't know. Let's see. Um, I think my low is like it's like blackboard is so fucking arrogant but i but i am loving watching i'm gonna start using his like character name because i can't keep saying like you know sonata um (laughs) I want to be respectful. Toranaga. Oh, right. So just watching Toranaga, like his small, subtle gestures of him understanding pieces of the game of chess that are happening, his little, tiny, very slight smirks, his like very side eye, watching him piece things together and kind of how this subtle conversation style that he also is having with Mariko, because it almost feels like he's kind of like being a mentor to her at the same time as he's like doing all this. And I don't know if it's because Mm -hmm. he wants to use her or if it's because he has like a genuine affinity for her i don't know what else to say everything about this whole thing is a high this show so far is a huge win i think everybody needs to go watch it i agree with all that inez i'll try to pick some other things um first episode high i'm gonna go with just the feeling that we're watching something that was put a lot of money and care and time into there's nothing that seems rushed or haphazard about the way that they they deployed this show. So knowing that there's some great care to, to, especially now that we live in a time when things are very scrutinized for cultural accuracy. And, and if it's not completely accurate, then at least caring about the fact that they're getting the spirit of the thing, right. I think all that stuff was put into making this show look and feel very correct. Low point for episode one, you know, having read the book, I I know that they had to kind of zip past some things that they labored in the book, and I don't mind any of that. Um, (laughs) I guess the, I think I made fun of it earlier, but the pirate growl in his voice. Darn, that was my low. (laughs) Just just seems like a put on a, I don't know, it seems actory to me. It It, does make me want to go watch some of his other stuff just to see. I'll come back with an answer for you, Paul, on like, is this his real voice or is this him being Batman? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He does have, he does have a little bit of, um, he does have a lot of scratch, but yeah, I I definitely feel like it was pushed for those boat scenes, ship scenes. Second episode, I think getting the fuller grasp of the political situation and all of the things that are happening, all the wheels that are in motion, all the things that are against Tornaga, even though I had to do a little um, research off the side to get a better grasp of exactly how the machine worked, seeing how the council is manipulated, all but their divided loyalties as well related to how religion plays into it, getting that fuller picture as it's developed in the second episode. I really enjoyed low point for the second episode. Um, Shoot. Well, I I should look at this with a more critical eye, but I don't really have anything off the top of my head that I can point to as like, well, they sure could have improved that. So far, so good with with these things the that weird gravelly voice is is uh got to be my main main complaint that was so spot on he sounded exactly like (laughs) him actually i couldn't believe it i had to double take that i bet um it was Um, really i also have a beard so 
Isn't the, black the beard though. makes black beard blackthorn <laughs> black <laughs> right oh that's cute okay that makes sense okay so okay you guys got some of mine i'm gonna choose some different things though um, 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 um so high low high the first high is going to be for the first episode and i have to do the oh. cinematography is amazing and it is really nice that they have a beautiful set with beautiful writing um i think that i'm gonna go with my high is are gonna be like the intense parts which are the one the moments that really made me feel the most and the first one was them discussing the execution of the baby and um that scene with the women and their response like i did not expect um translator America. Yeah, I did not expect her to like come out. And so I really appreciated that. And I appreciate the set a lot too. Um, my low for the first episode is uh, probably I'll just stick to the I, I want more subtle hints of like what's going on in the background. But maybe they did do it and I just wasn't paying attention as well as I should have. And then the second I think that okay so the transition for me for cosmo um so for black black blackthorn thorn blackthorn blackthorn <laughs> i think that his transition from like being disrespectful to being respectful i feel like it was a little bit rushed for me i feel like he was a little too intensely like an asshole and then just seeing this guy put himself in that position where he was ready to take his own life um and this ritual because um you know he's gonna leave the world on his terms that didn't hit so hard for me as much as it hit for him and so there was a little gap for me where I didn't feel that like intensity moment because I'm thinking okay if this if Blackthorn was down there right would he have not done the same thing is that why he's thinking that this is such an honorable thing or such a badass thing like what was going on in Blackthorn's mind I don't actually know and so that is my low I suppose there's a little disconnect for me for better or for worse, the rate that he sort of adapts to understanding the very basics of how to show respect, like the bowing and mostly the bowing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I know. I like that. That corresponds to his character from the book. Now, whether or not that is also sort of too fast for a character like him, he's not a spy. He's a pirate. He is a, he is a ship's pilot. Why should he have that level of understanding of how to get along with other cultures? He, his, his stock in trade is showing up, stealing stuff, burning them down, and then getting out of town. Right, but he has to make deals, right? Because he's doing it for someone. I assume there are some places he doesn't burn down, so negotiation skills are <laughs> are probably helpful. But my original comment, though, is just to let you know that in the book, he does absorb the idea that bowing to these people is is a way to show that your your mouth is shut and you're and you're ready to to play along. Oh yeah, no, I definitely understand that. That's like playing the game. He's trying to live, so he's doing what he can. But I just mean like with his face, with his demeanor. I just mm, feel okay. like his face, just as an actor, I suppose, not necessarily like the as writing. A character, I right. guess, yeah, as the character and maybe his acting. Like it just was. A, I didn't see the transition. It just went from like really intense face to just immediate soft face, <laughs> like constantly. I, I I think the way I interpreted like uh, the the scene that you're referring to, right? Um, 
I felt like maybe it wasn't just that this guy was going to like kill himself. I think that was like a shock anyway from a, a cultural shock, obviously, because it's not they never met Japanese people in their life. And so this was like a whoa, you know, kind of thing. And then also like, I mean, they did give the guy the rope and then he did come back up with yeah. with Rodriguez. So like yeah. he went through all of that, got, you know, fell a pretty significant fall. Oh my God, yeah. Right. And then he's and it, even though they gave him the rope, like he still had to do a lot of fucking work to get this guy like guy's body up and then get him up um, as well. And I think like all of that and knowing that like they knew that they were kind of doing this like dick swinging contest with each other and knowing that he won was just like okay like I like have to give it to him because um, I, yeah. I've been thinking so low mm-hmm. about them and what they're capable of they're yeah, barbarians right. they're savages whatever and then this is like wow like I'm not even close like I don't even know if he would have done it himself um, if he would have rescued him if he would have been able to like go through what he went through right that was this big fall I was oh man you know I have a back injury so I'm always like whenever I see people fall on things especially hurting their back and he hurt his head his face got knocked on these fucking stones right like it's that's that that's a really significant injury and Blackthorn was still looking down on him like he's pathetic from way up there so I enjoyed the high horse kind of thing it's just like I did all this bullshit you wanted me to do and like I succeeded and I didn't fail and so I feel like the fact that Rodriguez is alive and is able to have follow-up conversations later on, you know, that's, that is a, something that Blackthorn can't necessarily, like, there's, I don't know anything that he's done that can show that. Everybody on his boat was, like, starving to death um, <laughs> and sick, right? Can't even fish, you're right. No, I mean, he did, like, get the other ship to the um, Osaka, right? But you're right. That is a good scene. And, and um, yeah, the cultural shock is probably what did it. But I mean, I'm glad he came around. So anyway, OK, I guess that was Milo. Maybe it was just the speed. Maybe it was just me yeah. like looking away. I agree with you. It, sh- it could like it, it was not super clear because I had to stop and have a conversation with everybody as well about that. Steven and Anya didn't even think that Rodriguez was up there. I thought that I saw his body like on there because you didn't see him bring him up. But you saw... Wait, I thought that that he went back down. He had already brought him up? Yeah, I saw his body. Like I I saw like a lump on the ground, but it didn't show it like him specifically. Yeah, it's not clear, but he's he's aboard the ship and in the bed in the next scene. So I think we can assume what happened. (laughs) So maybe my low is just not seeing that part, you know, it's really like kind of non-climactic on the rescue. Mm -hmm. I agree. We should probably wrap this up because Paul's got to run. Paul does have to run. Yeah, so this has been our coverage for the first two episodes of FX's new big prestige series, Shogun. We all three have given us pretty positive reviews so far. Would you guys agree with that? A thousand percent. (laughs) Yes. It's a good use of time. It's a good use of time. Hi. (laughs) You're already soaking it in, the culture. Man, I told them last night, I was like, I am kind of sad that I'm not Japanese. <laughs> like, oh like, so I'm going <laughs> to. That's funny. She's Chinese for the I'm record. Chinese. I'm Chinese. <laughs> I, I, am, I have a form of Asian, but it's not Japanese. It's not Japanese. Now I'm kind of like sad about go that. Watch even Hero. Though, go watch even Hero. Even though I love my Chinese culture. <laughs> but please go ahead. I recently watched the Netflix anime Blue Eye Samurai. 
which is sort of around this time period, similar issues in the background of that show. And all of a sudden, I feel like I want to go watch The Last Samurai again and, and really steep myself in, in the Japanese uh, feudal culture. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm going to do. And next time I'm going to be super, super prepared. I'm very excited. Last night I ordered sushi. We were trying to figure out what to have for dinner. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, and we're like, we got to order dinner so we can like watch this. But let's just like do something like simple, quick, whatever. And then uh, I was like, wait, we're going to watch this. Like all of a sudden I couldn't. I just couldn't. It it felt dishonorable (laughs) to to have anything other than Japanese food. So that's what I did. I thought you didn't even eat because you're like, don't look down. Keep watching. <laughs> no, sushi's easy to like keep your eyes on, on the screen. Well, if you liked this podcast and enjoyed our coverage of the show, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You might even come over to our Beacon 23 podcast if you think that we're so awesome and you also happen to like science fiction. So do we. Uh, we're very versatile. And even more chatty on that one, if you can imagine. Gabby even has theories about that show. (laughs) And if you don't like it, come on over and just hate on it. No, don't do that. (laughs) There's no such thing as bad publicity, Paul. I guess. It's not art if you don't get a response. We'll do better. We'll do better next time. If you don't like it, let us know. We'll do better. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Reach out and we'll figure it out. Again, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll see you for episode three. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.